Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. I got my voice back, Bar Hashem, thank God. Um, so today we have Talia Becker, who is a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and disorder eating, and she is located in Highland Park, New Jersey. Um, I kind of wanted to just make a point to say that because I know it's really hard to find the right therapist, and I've been talking to clients about that and talking to people about that. And it is really important to find the right therapist that you connect with, that you're able to even tell your therapist what's going well and where you need more help. And I really think that that's an important part of the therapeutic relationship. So I just wanted to say that. And I think it's really important that um, we talk about eating disorders and disordered eating. And we talk about, you know, the risk factors and things that contribute to it and all the things that really go into an eating disorder. And I think that not to scare people, but just to understand how multifaceted they are and how um, so many things can contribute to it that we can learn about and avoid like talking about weight and dieting and obsessively counting calories and things like that. So um, I do think that's really important. And some of my episodes, as you know, are like head on talking about intuitive eating health at every size and some of them aren't they're shedding light onto another topic that does overlap and I like to mix it up on the podcast but I do think that this is like a really super important um topic and I'm so glad that I was able to have Talia on to talk about it um I am still accepting one-on-one clients right now so you could go to my website www.gilaglassberg.com and you could sign up for a 20 minute consultation. You could also email me and we could have a conversation that way to see if we're a good fit. Um, I am recruiting for a group counseling starting in January. I don't have the exact dates right now. I will be posting them soon. Um, it will be a three month group. Uh, women will be able to give each other support. So I'll be teaching the principles of intuitive eating, but on top of that, it will be a very supportive way to learn the principles and learn from other people and get support from people who are going through something similar to you. So if you're interested in that, you could also email me at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com, or you could also apply, use the application application on my website at www.gilaglassberg.com. And I am asking again, if you could please rate and review the podcast. Uh, share it with people who you think it would be beneficial. I really, really appreciate that. I really think it's so important to continue to spread this message. It's so funny. Like, it's not really funny, but it's funny when, like, clients tell me these stories about something that happened, like, at a Shabbos meal or whatever, and I'm like, this is what fuels my work, that what the thing that you just said, that that a lot of times people just don't know. Like, there's, I, it still boggles my mind that so many people don't know about intuitive eating and health at every size. And sometimes I'm really in the mood at a Shabbos meal to be like, hey, you never heard of it? Let me tell you. And sometimes I don't want to talk about it because I'm not really working always, you know, but um, that's what I always tell people. Like, yeah, like so many people ask me like when I'm somewhere and and where somebody's asking me, what do you do? What do you do? And then I'm like, well, I'm a dietitian. And they're like, oh, don't look at what I'm eating or like. And then other people will be like, is it really annoying when people do that? And I'm like, well, it's kind of annoying because I just don't, I'm not really like watching what people are eating. But it's also really a privilege and a pleasure a pleasure that I am able to help people on their journey with their eating. So sometimes like if I'm up for it, I'm happy to do that. Um, okay. Anyways, um, now um, enjoy the show and have a great day. 
Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host. And today I have with me Talia Becker. Hi, Talia. Hi, thanks for having me. It's very appreciated. I'm so happy to finally have you on. It's been so hard to like actually get people to interview because of the beginning of school and canceling and kids. I I already canceled so many other people also. So I'm so happy that you're here. Um, Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Where do you live? What do you do? Sure. Thanks so much for asking. So um, I currently, I'm in Highland Park. My practice is is in Highland Park um, and I'm an eating disorder therapist. Um, So specialized in eating disorders. And then also because eating disorders, not just about eating disorders, also specialize in anxiety and depression. It's usually what kind of fuels the eating disorder. Um, I have someone who is currently working for me. So the population that I take is the young adults, adults and up, and she generally sees like the teenagers and the children. Um, so we kind of try to tackle both populations together. Um, and yeah, I guess we do a combination of like CBT, supportive psychotherapy, DBT, um, and that's ma- like basically the modalities that we use and psychoanalytic as well. Very cool. And so did you always know that you wanted to be a therapist? Did you always know you wanted to specifically do eating disorders? Yeah. So I always growing up, I really just loved, like, if my friends were upset, like I always wanted to help them. Like I just found it always very interesting. Like what's making you upset? Why is it making you upset? And then like, as I got older and I learned that like, that can be a real life job, which I was like, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Like you can just get paid to talk to people. Wow. That's so interesting. Um, So I think I always gravitated towards that. Definitely specifically eating disorders. I think there are many reasons for that. Um, I was in camp who I thought that was very interesting. I guess also like I had myself like there's no way I would ever struggle with food like I love food how could that ever happen and then yes lo and behold there were definitely times where I also like okay I'm going to do this you know trend or this trend and got right so I had a good friend in camp who struggled um and I I found that very interesting that she was struggling with food especially at that point in camp there weren't so many people who had eating disorders and it was oh, wow, she's not eating that. Or she would like hide things under her napkin. And I was like, this is really interesting behavior. And I remember also saying like, oh, I would never struggle with my food. And then lo and behold, there were definitely food trends that I tried or things that were maybe extreme that I tried. And thankfully it ended up being okay. But I kind of thought to myself, well, if this was so hard for just 
a little bit of time, what about people who are suffering for so much longer? And that really got me interested in the field. Also, and I think you probably can relate to this, maybe we'll talk about this later, just like being a religious Jew, there's just so many expectations and like unrealistic expectations. And there's so much food always, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I run my eating disorder groups and we tell the non-Jewish patients like, every Shabbos is basically like Thanksgiving, but every weekend they're like floored. Like, how do you manage that? Like, that must be so hard and crazy, right? So like we have all these expectations of all this food mm-hmm. we should be eating. And then we have to show up at shul every week. You go to synagogue, you want to look a certain way, you want to dress a certain way. And then depending on how religious you are, you know, you're thinking about marriage and then having kids and your body should balance back and all these different things. So I found it all very interesting. And because I was able to relate to some degree, um, even more so, I was like, okay, this is the field I definitely want to go into. Um, and then kind of went from there. So went to Yeshiva University for undergrad, went to Hunter for social work. And then from there really made a point to get like eating disorder experience through private practices and eventually made my way to New Jersey to Robert Wood Johnson and worked on the eating disorder unit for both inpatient and outpatient eventually private practice yeah wow so I know for myself like I've I had a similar um you know we all I I think so many dietitians end up becoming dietitians because they've struggled with food I think there's actually a statistic that like 80 percent of dietitians are have disordered eating or something Christy Harrison talks about that on her podcast but Mm -hmm. anyways um what's interesting to me is that well what was interesting is that it's such an intense um field it's such an intense job like you said before like talking you know like I always say that like when I'm having an eating disorder client versus a disorder eating client it's like a whole different um mental load so like did you expect that when you went into the job that it was going to be really like something that took over sort of like your brain space Right. So, I mean, a lot of people, when I told them, like, oh, like when I moved to the community, like, oh, so you moved to the community before. I'm like, oh, I'm starting a job at Rapper with Johnson on the inpatient unit for eating disorders. And they were all like, whoa, like, do you know what you're getting yourself into? So, like, kind of what you're saying. And I guess also because, again, I had my own like extreme ways of thinking at times, I was able to relate more and I'm able to, I think, be more patient than someone who hasn't gone through it because I think, and not that everyone says this, but it's like, oh, just eat, right? Or like mm-hmm. just stop the behavior, or like right. think about your future. And like, if of course it was only that easy, these programs wouldn't exist and everyone mm-hmm. would just be okay and totally fine. So right. I definitely knew going into it, I would have a lot more patience, but I think walking onto the inpatient unit and seeing the individuals who are coming in like at a very low body weight and still refusing or believing that their body weighs so much more looks so differently sometimes those were like very eye-opening for me that like whoa this person is emotionally so far gone that they can't like they're in the hospital they need a feeding tube their weight is like 50 percent of their ideal body weight and they're still refusing or like we'd have children who parents would bring them in and they literally like there was one um, teenager who was like clinging onto the car tire because she was just so petrified of like getting the help and getting the treatment. So um, a lot of times it was a little bit shocking. And then of course you also have the people who are checking in who want to be there and who want to get the help. And that's also like, so, which I'm sure, you know, also as a dietitian working with eating disorders too, like the patients who are so motivated and they want to get the help and you see that they're succeeding. Like that's also just so incredibly motivating and just like inspiring to see. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, that's very well said. Cause I know for myself, like I, I, I keep, I keep sort of like vacillating between like, I'm going to take on eating disorder cases or I'm going to get like an extra level of training, um, 
or should I just stick to the disordered eating? I'm more like called to the disordered eating because that's what I struggled with. Although I did, I would say like borderline over like an eating disorder with like, I could, I could also relate to clients very well because I was also in a space of like being so afraid of food and having such strong food rules and, um, and then like overcoming that, but still feeling like I can't eat candy during the week, but I can eat it on Shabbos, lots of mm. restricting, lots, lots of binging until I actually read intuitive eating. And I was like, oh, I'm still restricting, you know, like 10 years right. later. All these food rules that we think yeah. are not rules. Just like, oh, the whole world, especially when you're like Jewish, right? Oh, no yeah. one's eating challah during the week. So like right. everyone's eating challah on Shabbos. Like I'll just wait till Shabbos, you know, right. like no one's right. having dessert then. I'll just wait till Shabbos to have it. Right. And then when you enter like the actual field, it's like, wow, this is really hard. And like, it is very heartbreaking to see some, like you said, somebody 50% of their ideal body weight and on a feeding tube and still believing, being so emotionally like far gone that they still believe that they're, you know, in a different body. Um, it's just very intense. It's a very intense thing. You have to yeah. be able to yeah. handle an intense job. <laughs> right. And I remember also when I first started, um, so my coworkers, like patients, like they, they discharged and then like two months later they came back and I was like, oh, wow. Like, does this happen often? And they were like, oh, this happens very. And then like my patients also would start to come back, um, which was like, you know, I think that everyone has their own way of progressing and some people need tune-ups and some people need multiple times of coming in and out. But like it really also highlighted for me just how intense it can be that like even if you go to inpatient once doesn't mean you're cured even if you go twice doesn't mean you're cured even if you went to residential and then came back to inpatient and then left and then came back for a day program doesn't mean you're cured either so I also think that there's this like fantasy or this idea that like great we're going to send the patient to an inpatient residential they're going to come home they're going to be amazing and it's like we always say well the work really starts when you get home because when you're in this bubble and everything's perfect and there's no triggers even though it's not perfect in the sense that you're working on all these things and you're exposing yourself to all these foods like it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be 100% cured either and I feel like so many people think oh just send them away and send them back and they'll be fine it's like well it's also not that simple as well for sure I want to ask you two things actually about what you said first of all I want to ask you about uh, like what you see in the Jewish population versus the non-Jewish population because I've heard so many different things I've heard that like in the non-Jewish world the way that you look is much more a focal point and I've also heard that in the Jewish world it's much more it's much more um stressed like like I just heard this actually on a podcast today that somebody was at the the subway station and she saw like a bunch of like people who are probably not Jewish dressed in like, you know, casual clothes or no, no makeup pony. And then these, she saw a bunch of women from her community wearing perfect wigs, perfect, you know, outfits, dressed to the nines, perfect makeup. And she's like, what, how did this happen? Like, I don't know if, if you see that. Um, yeah. I want to, and I also wanted to ask you, like, if you notice you've been, you know, you had so much d diverse experience in eating disorders. Do you see like, what are the trends that you see that that have triggered the eating disorder? Or like you said, yeah, I always tell this to clients, like most people have their like eating disorders don't exist in a vacuum. You're probably struggling with also anxiety, depression, OCD, bipolar. Um, but what are the trends that you see? Like, is it mostly from diet culture in the home, from school, from friends? Is it mostly um peer pressure like I said before in the in the Jewish Orthodox community the pressure of like looking perfect being perfect what are what are things that you see so I guess I asked you two questions but answer so however. yeah so I'm going to answer the latter question first and then we'll get back to the other one okay. um so yeah eating disorders don't like you said they don't happen in a vacuum I think a couple of factors go into it definitely a lot of them start with 
someone wanting to be healthy and going on a diet. And if they have tendencies to be obsessive, it stops going from, oh, I want to be healthy to I need to be the thinnest. I need to be the best. I need to eat the most perfect food. I need to like weigh my self-esteem um, by how much I weigh on the scale. It has to be the lowest numbers. So definitely starting a diet, which I think so many people go into being like, oh, it's like a trend. It's going to be so fun. Let's workplace diet together. Woohoo. It's like, okay. But you also have to know that like, that can turn into something really obsessive and potentially really dangerous. Um, and like not many people are fully aware of that. That's number one. Number two, it's definitely a lot of trauma related, unfortunately, issues. Um, and whether people are trying to hide their bodies and being the thinnest they can possibly be so no one touches them or people who actually want to have a bigger body so that they feel empowered and no one's going to come near them either. So like trauma definitely plays into it. Perfectionism, like whatever message they're getting at the home, whatever they're seeing from their parents or their friends or what's cool and trendy. And even now, like when we were growing up, like we didn't have really access to social media. It was like AOL.com and you're listening to see if you can like connect and you're hoping, you know, okay, you're going to message your friends. And now it's like Instagram and the patients that I have, some of the teenagers that I do see, like they tell me that it's like trendy to like have a certain body shape, which is like trends. You can't just buy the body shape from the store, right? It's right. like, how can you like, yeah, they were trendy clothing. You can go to a store and purchase, like right. you can't purchase like a bigger booty, right? You can't right. purchase like muscles. Like, so they're also driving themselves crazy at the gym and eating a certain way and looking at these videos and Instagram and being like, yeah. well, if I just did what she did, mm -hmm. I look this way. So again, always unrealistic expectation. And then again, depression, anxiety, not feeling in control, a hundred percent all plays into it. It's so sad. The whole, the, the social media thing is such a hard thing to wrap my head around because it's like the clients that I've seen who were like really, really struggling. A lot of, I've, I, I heard so many things like, yeah, it started from like this um, exercise trend that I saw on TikTok, you know, or like, but like you said, and, and it's funny that you said that about the trendy body. I always tell this to clients that like, I think, I think in like the sixties, right? Like Twiggy, it was very, it was like the sixties. It was very into me, like super skinny, no bust. Uh, and right. no right and no behinds and now it's like the trend is literally like super curvy busty tiny tiny waist and um like you know like a bigger behind and it's like that doesn't even exist naturally like how much of the population looks like that nobody naturally nobody. so it's like no. it's really crazy like I don't even want to say unattainable because like it's like it's like attaining your shoe size or I said I said last <laughs> client it's like it's like right. it's like having green it's not green eyes. it's like having red eyes like I right. wish I had you know, it's like you just you can't fight it for sure right. for sure but this right. is what you know and then the photoshopping and the filters and it's like well it looks real but it's definitely not right right so that's so 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 hard especially for teenagers like I mean for adults it's so hard also like I'll tell right. that to my uh, to my teenage clients like it's still hard when you're an adult we still all compare oh, how skinny sure. is that girl after birth and how nice is her table and we're all doing it it's just like so much harder as a teen to actually like function like that also, you have so much less control as a teen, right? Because you're like living in this house, you're kind of stuck, you have to go to school every day, like high school for some of my patients is torture. And like, they don't yeah. you have to go unless you like get pulled out and get your GED or whatever. But most people don't know that's an option number. And most people don't want to do that. So like, they're just stuck, unfortunately, which is also so hard. 
Yeah, that is really sad. I know. I'm like, I feel like I, I struggled all my years through school scholastically and like just keeping up. And like, now that my kids are in school, I'm like, my heart's breaking for you guys. Like, I can't believe I have to make you do this. It's hard. It's hard. It's so hard. It's really so hard. And also like, again, they don't teach like coping skills class, right? It's like, okay, math two plus two, fine. That's great. Yeah. Obviously know how to read and history is important. And the Judaic studies, of course, like, coping skills are so important and like it's just so interesting how that hasn't been integrated into the curriculum yet because like if you just know how to cope instead of being like well I'm just not going to eat because I'm going to feel in control I'm going to be the thinnest yeah. and feel happy clearly that's not going to work in the long run and then I have those patients who I run group for who I run group for in their 50s and 60s and even I've seen patients in the hospital check in at 70 and they're just like I wish I would have done this sooner and like it's still trending for right. them unfortunately because right. They didn't have access to care either at that point. Right, right. So, actually, on that on that note of like kids not feeling in control, kids and teens, like I actually heard, um, do you know Dr. Becky? Dr. Becky, okay, she has a podcast called Good Inside, and she's also on Instagram. And she was saying, yeah, she was. She said such a funny thing. She said, like, I want you to realize how much our kids feel like out of control, meaning like they don't have control of their life. And like, she was like, I one time let my, I said to my son, um, I'm going to, you tell me when you want me to take a shower. Like you just tell me. And like, he came home from school and he's like, now mommy. And she's like, it was so annoying. I just washed my hair. Like I really didn't want to take a shower. (laughs) And we do that to our kids all the time. Stop playing outside. Go take a shower. Come inside. It's time to eat. And it's like, it's like, we have to do that as their parents. But like, imagine if someone was doing that to us, like as adults, it's like really annoying. Horrible. No, it's such a good point, which is so true. And I think also like there are so many things, even as an adult, you don't have control over. Like people go to their work and they hate their job, right? People sometimes get stuck in a relationship that they can't get out of, right? Sometimes you get in fights with your friends or whatever it is. And like, yeah, food is something which is like the basic, basic of eating disorder 101. It's just something that you can control, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. if you're feeling trapped otherwise, of course, you're going to gravitate towards the food right and I, I also say this also that like in the in our religious circles like there's not so much kosher entertainment so it's like if well I, I can't I, depends where you live but I can't go to the movies and I can't go to a Broadway show and I can't go biking outside in some communities I can't go jogging like okay so I can't afford the gym or whatever it's like food is always there food is a constant True. Food is like For just sure. an easy accessible way to either restrict or to binge or to cope or however so it's like right just, you know, acknowledging that as a reality is important. For sure. And I think also, like, um, I run a group for religious Jewish women, and, like, it is it is really hard. Um, there's not always so many outlets, and they also feel like their communities may not understand or their husbands don't understand, which makes it harder also because they're trying to educate, and the husband's like, well, you're just, you're beautiful the way you are. Like, you're perfect. You're fine. And that's not, that's not what they're looking for, right? They're kind right. of looking for more. So also just spouses or people who are, in a relationship with an eating disorder and like educating the other person if they get it if they don't get it it's just like another layer of like complications Mm -hmm. for sure I feel like if you've never struggled with food you just cannot understand the grasp that the eating disorder could have on your brain right for sure definitely so what what is it that you see like differently in the Jewish versus the non-Jewish world that like do you think it is harder in the Jewish world um I mean I think that like at the core level, like when they come in to any sort of treatment, like I, I think when they're coming in, like just so distraught, I think it's equally just as hard because mm-hmm. I think that each community has their own expectations. And I think that like, yes, like 
the non-Jews looking at the Jews and being like, oh my God, every Shabbos, that's so crazy. And like, you have to look a certain way. But then I also think that the non-Jews looking at the Jews, like, oh, well, you're wearing like short shorts, like you're right. wearing king tops, you're right. showing more skin, you, right. you know, like you go to the beach and you do show, like you are expected to wear a bikini. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's hard for each for each person because they they have their own things that are like normalized in their own culture that like makes it difficult for both them because at the end of the day they're both coming in whether Jewish not Jewish men women teenager adult they're all just feeling like so helpless so out of control even though they're grasping for control with the eating sweater and they're all feeling like this is way too hard there's no way I can just have a normal relationship with food like I think that's really where they're all holding when they come in when it's just like so desperate yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I think that's helpful for people to hear that it's like, I, I think maybe when people hear it's like harder in the from community or the Orthodox community or in the non-Jewish community, they're like, oh, well, it's because of my community. But it's true. You're right. It's like we all have our struggles in every community. And like both of those things can make it really hard, like having showers every week and that amount of food and also having an expectation to show more skin could also make it harder. Um right. And, you know, it's could also make it harder because there's like, for some people, there's a level of body shame. For some people, it's, it's like a saving grace, you know, it's just different. Right. It's different exactly. for every person. Okay. I wonder, I wonder if you could share, like, this would probably, probably be interesting for clients to hear, like, I mean, I mean, for followers, listeners to hear, <laughs> um, what, what is it like when somebody enters eating disorder treatment, like either goes to the hospital or comes to see you, like, what's the usual progression of the illness? Yeah, so I'm going to go through it as if they checked into inpatient and slowly making their way down to like eventually like an outpatient. So when they come in to inpatient um, at any weight, whatever it is, um, obviously, annoyingly so, insurance has to approve it. Um, Generally speaking, for the most part, it goes through. When it doesn't, it's a different story, but we'll save that for a different time because we all hate insurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, So they basically, they come in initially and they get like blood work done, they get weed, um, and once they have all that information, they check in, they have the bed. And basically inpatient is obviously very intense, right? Inpatient is like when you're coming in, you're, you're obviously pretty sick. A lot of times people come to inpatient if like they're trying to get into residential and re- because residential is not a hospital, they'll say you need to like make sure you're medically stable at the hospital before you go into residential. But I'll take, for example, Robert Wood Johnson. So basically what happens is that you're working on renourishing yourself and eating more and eating properly. So you're working with the entire team. So you have the nurse who's always on the unit. You have a therapist who in inpatient you see every day. You have a dietitian who you basically see every day. And then there's a psychiatrist who you meet with also every day if in case you need medication or anything to help um, in that sense. And basically they have communal meals. So every morning you wake up, everyone, well, they get up really early to get weight every day. And then at eight o'clock is breakfast for everyone. And then from like nine to 12 is different groups. So you have a nutrition group, you have the like a therapy group, you have a nursing group, you have like a group about medication. So just really like educating them on what they're doing to their bodies. And even if they think they're doing something good for their bodies, because they're being quote unquote healthy, mm-hmm. we're kind of like telling you it's too extreme. Like this is not okay. And they take it from like a nutrition standpoint, a medical standpoint, a mental standpoint, and then also groups on body image and coping skills. Fine. Then at lunchtime, so they do like, it's kind of really nice. They have like cake day and dessert day because so much of it is exposure, right? You're yeah. so free to eat something. So they, you have to pick, it's going to be ice cream. Is it going to be cake? Is it going to be cupcake? Is it going to be this? So like, you have to do it. And if you don't complete the meals, then also it's kind of like, um, 
behavioral based, like you maybe you don't get your phone that day. So like they try to make it that you're more willing to do it. And then after lunch, same multiple groups, then dinner is together. And then there's always option of having a snack at night if you want like to get extra food or something like that. Um, and that's basically the day to day. Um, if you're depending on what level you are, like sometimes you might have to be on bed rest. Sometimes you do have the privilege of maybe taking a walk if possible. And then once you get so in order to leave inpatient, you have to be 85% of your ideal body weight if you're like someone who needs to gain weight or if you're mentally doing better, which the therapist and dietitian test depending on how much you're eating or how well you're eating and stuff like that, you move on to the partial hospitalization program. So then you get to go home, which is always very exciting. And the partial hospitalization is five days a week from nine to three, depending on the program. They get weighed every single day and they have a snack a lunch and a snack together. And then for breakfast and dinner, you're on your own. And eventually if you go through that and you're doing well, you go to IOP, which is like three days a week from nine to one thirty. So they really try to like transition you out with yeah. a lot of support. And once you master that, they basically say, okay, now it's time for you to go to an outpatient provider. And that's where I would meet them when they're heading there. Unless someone just comes who's never been in therapy before, who doesn't need hospitalization. If they're just starting with me, then we do the intake, we take their history and kind of like, again, just figuring out like, what are their food rules? You know, what are they having obsessive tendencies, perfectionism, like getting really to the underlying issue, which usually takes a lot of time it doesn't yeah. happen in one session. It takes a while. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. kind of like the trajectory. Thank you for explaining that. Um, I think it's important for people to hear that, that it's like really, really, it's like, there's so much support needed when somebody has a full-blown eating disorder. And um and even, even within the hospital, there's like so many different levels and so much different, like, you know, ways of treatment. And it's just like, it's such an intense thing, but it's like, that's how intense eating disorders are that you really need that much support to get through yeah. it. I mean, even like we, we wouldn't let, like if people weren't doing partial because they had a job, like we don't let them leave the hospital unless like we know that they had an appointment with the therapist and a dietitian and a psychiatrist and a doctor. So like they're very we're very like serious about it like they right. need follow-up treatment um, right, especially sure. to all the people who like end up coming back for sure for sure and then people who see you in your office after they've left the I- IOP I always say that wrong IOP yeah um they see you once a week or twice a week or sometimes multiple times a week um yeah it just depends like some who need it three times a week um I mean that's pretty rare unless some, like I'm seeing them twice a week and something pops up where they want a third time um sometimes it's two sometimes it's one coming from IOP maybe I'll start with two just to like make sure they're okay um but for the most part it ends up being one it just it just depends really what the patient feels like they need or what I think they need um and also I like kind of like giving them the benefit of the doubt like the least treatment so they can like also live a normal life right, like right. once they made it through the system and they're like a little bit like not dumb they're like oh, I just want to live a normal life and if they're telling me they want to live a normal life and they're not obsessed with like the eating disorder and treatment and they don't need that constant reassurance I'm like good like <laughs> get yeah. back into normal living and have to yeah. be like thinking about food 24 7 or therapy 24 7 like I'm very happy once they get to that point also yeah yeah what do you think they're well, like what's one thing or two things that you could say as like therapists dietitians listening or even just like regular listeners like how could we, I want to talk about intuitive eating and how you got introduced to it, but like, what could we do as like, um, you know, parents and clinicians and just people in the world like to try to help like decrease the eating disorder, like the normalcy of disordered eating and eating disorders in the world? Right. That's a really good question. Um, thanks for asking that. I think sure. a lot of it 
comes from just awareness. And I think that like, we say things all the time that whether we really mean it or we don't, right? Like, I think people say, oh, this is horrible. I'm going to kill myself. And it's like, mm. but that's, don't, don't say that. Like, that's mm-hmm. really inconsiderate for other people who may be struggling. And like, that's just, again, not necessarily an appropriate thing to say. So I also think that like, it's so easy, like, oh, I feel so gross today. I feel so ugly today. Like, oh my God, I just ate all this. I probably gained five pounds today. So like saying those things and putting them out into the universe, first of all, for parents, especially kids eat up everything. They hear everything. They see everything. My kids also, I'm like spacing out and they'll be like, mommy, are, like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? They're like, you're space. You're like, not, you're like weird. I'm like, oh, like they're so, and they're five and eight, right? So they're like, they know everything. They see everything. So I think especially as parents, if you can do this, Keep your comments to yourself. Again, if you're struggling with your body weight, maybe you can talk to your husband about it, get a therapist, get a dietitian. Cause like kids pick up even like random energy in the house. They just know. They like always know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for practitioners for sure, like intuitive eating from the dietitian, like all foods fit approach is so helpful because so many patients, yes, they're like recovering, but then they go into like orthorexia or they're only eating the healthiest foods possible, which is like, all right, if you want to live your life, I guess that's your choice. Like you're not gonna live the best like most happy life that you can if you're still restricting to a certain degree even if let's say they're eating enough to support their body weight but they're only eating salads or sweet potatoes or whatever it is that's not really like such an amazing life either so I think mm-hmm. the all food um fit approach for sure and like intuitive eating and I think just like validate 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 because so many people with eating disorders they come in they think they're crazy they think no one understands they think someone's just going to be like dismissive like you did this to yourself this is your problem just eat and move mm-hmm. on so like so yeah so, like for someone to say like I hear you it's not your fault like I know this is so hard for you and like how can I hold your hands and like help you with this and, like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll offer like if you want to have a snack together like in zoom that's fine like we can do this together you're not alone so validation goes such a long way and just like getting those food rules like taken off of their plate and that all foods fit intuitive eating approach is also extremely helpful. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a good thing. I I interviewed somebody um recently. I didn't I didn't put out that episode yet, but she was talking about like that chronic um uh what's the word that she said? It was such a good one. I really thought about it. Chronic dismissiveness? No. N- not maybe it was chronic not validating your feelings, but it was a word. I can't remember what she said. Um, uh, chronic right. chronic invalidation. I think that's what it was. <laughs> chronic mm-hmm. invalidation. And I was like, yes, that's so like what we've all like so many of us have been through as kids. Like I know now it's like we're swinging to the opposite extreme of like everything is validated. But like it's so true that like people who have struggled with eating disorders or are struggling, they really feel like they're alone. And like that's part that's probably like half the battle of like not feeling alone. And like I love that you said like having a snack together. That's probably I've done that with clients too. That's probably like just like super supportive. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of it also is like invalidating in terms of their emotions, right? So like you shut down your emotions, then you shut down, you don't listen to your body at all, right? Mm-hmm. So also when you're not eating, there's no emotions because all you're focusing on is just not eating. Um, or right. like if you're overeating and you're binging, you're just stopping all your emotions down. And like, I think also very much like our, our generation, our parent generation, our grandparents generation, like our grandparents, like they were like World War II Holocaust survivors. So for them, like nothing is as bad as being in a war, which a hundred, like a hundred percent. But then like for the next generation and everything else, it's like, just get over it because like I was in a war, right? Or like my parents were in a war. So like, you don't like, yes, your feelings are valid, but maybe not as valid as like, cause nothing as bad as like what 
my parents went through, so to speak. So I think also just like that generation of feeling like, oh, I can't have feelings or they're not valid or it has to be so bad for me to like feel this way, which again also plays into, I have to be so sick in order to get mm-hmm. the help because it mm-hmm. has to be so bad because that's what they were taught growing up that only if it's extremely bad, then do you get the help. So I mm-hmm. think also like a lot of invalidation of feelings, which is like, we're all human. Of course we have to feel. And if we don't right. feel, that's when the eating disorder can come about. I actually really like that you said that about the Holocaust. And I think, I, I think about that a lot, like about, I've, hear, I've heard that in my in my office a lot that like, like people who are like so depressed or struggling so much and like this thing in their life is really like hurting them, whether it's food or not food or body image or not body image. And they're like, yeah, but my, like my parent or grandparent or great grandparent, like literally, how could I complain? Like my, they went through the Holocaust and it's like, it's such a sad, I feel like it's almost like Hitler hurting us like now in 2022. That's what I feel like that it's like, there's just so much dismissiveness and so much, I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying that, but I just feel like it's so like, I love what you said about when you were talking about people being in treatment and being in the hospital and getting um, daily support of the, of the dietitian and the therapist and the psychiatrist and learning coping skills. And you were talking about that before, how like, we don't have that class in school, like coping 101. It's like, okay, so the people who actually go through the eating disorder are probably so much like better off almost because they've learned these coping skills. But if only we could preempt it, like if only we could allow people to feel, give people the coping skills when they're young, like then we would, you know, alleviate a lot of these issues actually. For sure. It's actually, it's funny that you said that in my group last night um, and the other patients or the individual, whatever clients, they were laughing and she's like, yeah, I went to eating school. And like, that's just so funny. Like, but I think there should be a course on eating. Like, yeah, eating yeah. school is treatment, but like, I think we all need it because we get so many mixed messages. Like one day carbs are bad. One day carbs are good. One day fat is bad. One day fat is good. One day like this vitamin is good and then it's bad. Like that's constantly happening or like whatever it is. So like, you know, like eggs, raise your cholesterol. They don't raise your cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So many mixed messages. So like, I think that if there was an actual nutrition class that was like based on like evidence and health and taking to coping skills and diet culture like that would be so helpful but it seems like we're just not there yet um well I will say two things one is that somebody reached out to me recently and she's like this is so crazy like in my daughter's schools they're so on top of like the healthy snack and in my son's schools all the rebbies are giving out candies like what type of messaging (laughs) is that and I was like yeah Yeah, so she was like let's go into the schools and teach them and I I, just to give everybody like a little bit of hope actually last year I spoke in Hafter to the 10th grade girls like Mm -hmm. the schools are definitely interested I I, another school reached out and I hope one day to be it should be more of like workshops like yearly like annually that like at the beginning of school or, or like towards the end of school like these like kids in elementary school and high school and older obviously like they really need support through this like you said like those mixed messages like I just had a session before this about like teaching somebody what does hunger feel like what does fullness feel like you know why because for since we were kids we were like you can't be hungry you just ate and you know like you don't have to go to the bathroom like so then it's like we're just all confused like what what is my body actually telling me and like we need to teach those skills those are those are life skills for sure and I think also like kind of related to that also like definitely getting in touch physically and also like emotionally right because I think we're so quick to be like oh my gosh you look beautiful like did you lose weight it's like mm, maybe you could just be like you look beautiful because you look so happy like you're glowing today or like is something wrong like you seem sad and like we always educate the parents and like never say like oh you're not eating what's wrong like 
you seem really sad. Like, what's going on? Like, oh, you seem really happy today. Because at the end of the day, if they're sad, then they're going to engage in the eating disorder. And if they're feeling better, they're probably not. So I think also like getting in touch with their bodily cues and also their emotional cues Mm -hmm. and parents picking up on the emotional cues and not just being like, you need to eat. It's like, well, are Mm -hmm. you sad? Like, do you need extra support right now? Like, Mm -hmm. focus on that because complimenting on the body, like, oh, just you look so happy. You're glowing. That's so beautiful. I love that. Like, Mm -hmm. that really changes the perspective also of like, what's beauty versus not. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of talk about like, when you see somebody who you haven't seen in a while, instead of complimenting, like, wow, you look awesome. Like, it's so good to see you. I've missed you. Not that you can't, not that you can't compliment the way that somebody looks, but I feel like they're like you said in the beginning, I think like that, that focus of like, what we talk about what we put out into the world. So for, you know, for that person, that's always like, noticing the way somebody looks versus like, how funny they are, or like how smart they are, or like, you know, it's like a totally different type of vibe than like the way that it is now which is just like this crazy emphasis on like how we look and more more about like how skinny we are really there's like such right. an emphasis on that right for sure right and I think also like and I said this to my patients a lot too that like if you see someone and they're gorgeous and they open their mouth and they're mean or they like just say stupid things like they're not really so pretty anymore right so right. like we hold this idea in our head like everyone's gorgeous but like that's not really true. Gorgeous is not just how you look on the outside. Gorgeous is like a whole package of like how you act and how you behave. And like, you know, when you get to know people, they become even more stunning because like, they're just so nice and giving versus the opposite. So like to really focus on those things, but of course it's really hard and everyone's like, Oh, like what's your secret? You look so skinny. It's like, Oh God. It's actually funny that you say that because I'll just say this. I hope that I think this will be like really helpful for, for listeners to hear is that I went to, I said this to to both my clients last night and I I went to Shira yesterday and it was on Rosh Hashanah, like the upcoming holiday. And um, she asked the question to the audience. Like she said, like, when you think of somebody who you like really, really respect and like, please tell me like, what are the qualities about that person that you really respect? And people said like, she's so giving and she's so kind and she's so honest. She's so compassionate, right? Like all these things. And then she's like, just notice that nobody said like, I love her Porsche. <laughs> I love her perfect hair. I love how skinny she is. Right. Actually, right. and, and I will say uh, the client did play devil's advocate and she's like, yeah, nobody's going to admit that in this year. But I'm like, no, I really want you to think about people who you like love and respect. Like, I don't even think of them as like their physical body. I don't have that. Maybe not everybody's like that, but like, I feel like when it comes, like you just said, like when somebody is really beautiful, but they're really mean, like it just like, we just don't think of them as beautiful anymore, even if they're right. objectively beautiful, whatever that means. So, um, I think that's a really good point. And it's like funny because people are like, wow, you talk about that with your clients. Aren't you a dietitian? And it's like, it's like you said, it's like the whole package of like, of everything. Just health is so much more than like what you eat, how you exercise, your coping skills, your sleep, your stress management, your, the medication that you might need to be on. It's like that whole package. But I think dieting really tries to like limit. It's so limiting. Oh, for sure. And I think also diet is just, again, like it's just all about how you look, but clearly we know that we know people who might be beautiful and they're just so unhappy so like Mm -hmm. dieting isn't about just how you look it's how you feel and you know the memories that you share with food or whatever it is like being social and getting out there which like of course the eating disorder you're living a very lonely life because it's impossible to keep up because you have all these crazy rules so yeah health is not just how you look at all just unfortunately you know this is what diet culture has done to our society 100 percent. it's so true um so this was awesome like such a great interview is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with um I guess like 
for anyone who's listening and you're feeling alone or you're feeling like there's no hope and you can't get help, like, again, I have, you know, there's children who come and there's patients in their 60s and I've seen patients in their 70s and, like, there's never a bad time to start and it's literally never hopeless until, like, I, I guess until you really decide that, but, like, don't allow yourself to decide that until you go to someone who can say for you if it's actually hopeless or not because I've definitely had patients who come in and they're, like, it's hopeless. Like you're not going to want to work with me. And I'm always like, let me decide that. Like, thank you for sharing. That's like really kind that you're like thinking of me and what I'm going to think, but like, let me decide. And you can always start in the next second, next minute, tomorrow's like, if you're nervous or you're scared about treatment, definitely reach out to someone. And like, there's always hope. Even again, the eating disorder is going to make you feel like there's never hope, but that's not true. So like, there's always hope and please reach out because doing it alone is really hard. And like living that kind of life, it's hard and you don't deserve that. I mean, I agree. <laughs> um, do you want to, are you taking new patients now? New clients? I am taking a few new patients. Yes. Okay. So where could people um, find you? Oh, really good question. On psychology today, you could find me at Talia Becker or um, on Instagram, Talia Becker LCSW or whatever at, I don't know, handle. Don't I'll know put, I'll called. put, I'll put all your information in the show notes so people can find you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do, like, I also, I want to eventually, and I know we're running out of time now, but, like, I want to, like, intuitive eating, like, for my patients, like, hearing more about it, because they're very, like, I can't intuitive eat, which is also something I'm working on with them, but, like, right. that won't work for me. I'll just end up eating all my food, which is, like, that's not, that's not right. the point. So, I feel like also, like, educating from your perspective with intuitive eating uh, would probably be also helpful to the patients that I see as well. For sure. We could always do, like, a part two. I'm, I'm always up for that. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Sure. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.